verse number 6 of Nehemiah 8 says, And Ezra blessed the Lord. I bet he blessed the Lord for a lot of reasons. He blessed the Lord because those people wanted God. He blessed the Lord because he had a book. He, he blessed the Lord because of how God brought his people back out of an insurmountable, incomprehensible circumstance. I bet he blessed the Lord because through all the people that fought them, he saw the victory in that moment as they're all standing in the street. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. Our God's bigger than the God of the world. We have a great God. We don't have a small God. We don't have a God that is insufficient for the task. We don't have a job or a God that that is not able to perform the job that needs to be done in our lives. We have a great God. Probably the kingdoms of the world didn't think very much of the God of Israel because of what had transpired and the remnant that's left, but you should never underestimate the greatness of God just based upon the plight of His people. Ezra... The Bible said, bless the Lord. I, I don't think that could ever, ever be overdone. And in blessing the Lord, I, I don't think it's just hollow words to offer to God or talk about God. I, I believe that Ezra in this moment is being a real blessing to the Lord. Has anybody ever been a blessing to you? You ever said that to somebody? You're such a blessing. Or maybe you said it somewhere else, bless your heart. You want them to get a blessing. Well, when the Bible says that Ezra blessed the Lord, I think he's, he's trying to give a blessing to God. He's trying for God to get a blessing out of what's going on here. You know, I'm sure Ezra got a blessing. I'm sure it was a great blessing of Ezra to see all the people unified. What a... What a blessing that, that had to have been. What a blessing it would have had to have been to see that many people interested in the Word of God. And humbly, what a blessing to see all the people to, to stand at the reading of the Bible and to go through all those many hours. And that, what a blessing, I'm sure it was to Ezra, to see how much they cared about the Bible. But more than Ezra wanting to get a blessing, Ezra wanted God to get a blessing. Ezra blessed the Lord. Our lives should be a blessing to God. Our lives should put a smile on His face. That's one reason I like to let the, the, the testimonies roll. I don't think always testimonies are a blessing to God. But they sure can be. Don't, can you imagine what God thinks about somebody? We had several little children get up and testify. I, I couldn't even hear all of them. But you know what? What a wonderful thing. If God up in heaven looks down and got a blessing out of that. About that. He, he, God has heard people blaspheme his name all day. And for somebody, for a child to get up and talk about Jesus and talk about God. I believe he got a blessing out of that. 
I think he gets a blessing out, out of the, the congregation of, of the people when we meet with a right heart and, and, and love on the Lord. He says in Ezra, bless the Lord, the great God. But he didn't just do it himself. The people wanted to get involved. Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen. Amen. They didn't just say it once, they said it twice. Ezra didn't even have to tell them to say amen. They said amen because they wanted to say amen. Amen. You've heard preachers that that ag on the amens. And sometimes we have to do that because things get dead. If you don't agree with something, don't say amen. That's a great agreement statement there. In other words, Ezra's blessing the Lord, the great God, and the people saying amen. Amen. He is great. He is worthy of blessing and praise. We agree with your praise, Ezra. We agree with your adoration of God. We agree with you lifting up the Most High. Amen. Amen, the people say. I see everybody getting in on this good worship service. Ezra opened the book in the sight of the people. For he was above the people, and when he opened it, all the people stood up, and Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, with lifting up their hands. That makes some people uncomfortable. I've told you, we've let the charismatic steal too many things from us. Lifting up of hands was not a charismatic thing. It was a Jewish thing. (laughs) But it wasn't just a Jewish thing. It continues in the New Testament. Now, I'm not going to make you say amen. I'm not going to make you lift up your hands. But it's all right. It's all right. And some people can't do that because God just gets a little bit too real about you know it's just it's one thing to it's like when we sing I I I'm always intrigued you know we sing these songs and we say we're singing to the Lord but then when you ask people to do one little thing to to actually perform something like it is really to the Lord they get nervous. I love you. I love you because you first loved me. What I'm trying to say, they're all getting involved and they're not just getting involved in their brains, they're getting involved in their heart. And as they lift up their hands, it's not just some kind of exercise of look at me. Bible tells us that, that they lifted up their heart with their hands, you see. That's why the New Testament talks about lifting up holy hands. We're just not trying to see hands. We're wanting God to see the desire of our heart that our hands are holy. We've tried to live holy. And with those hands, we're trying to lift them up in prayer and praise to God. That's what they're doing here. No one is irrational. No one is out of control. But they're they're worshiping God. 
And God inhabits the praises of his people. And if we really want those essentials to revival, you get to praising God like that and doing it from your heart. And sometimes it takes one person to do that. Ezra started the blessing of the Lord, but he didn't end it. All the people got involved. And I'll say this, God will let you get involved as much as you want to get involved in praising You don't even have to be talented. You don't even have to know what to say. Do you know if it got so loose and the revival really broke out and, and, and people really started praising God and uh, maybe it'd be a visitor that'd get nervous. Some visitor come in on Sunday morning, people raising their hand. They think, well, well, I thought this was a Baptist church. <laughs> Isn't that right? I don't want cold, dead religion. I, I want revival. And what I'm saying in revival, people people not worried about how people look at them. They want God to receive something from their heart. And whether it's an amen, whether it's a testimony, whether it's a praise or a blessing or an adoration of God or lifting up the hand. The Bible said in verse 6, Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, amen, amen, with lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads. Now, so you see, that's, that's something so different than the modern day cares mood. Charismatic movement, it's not bowing the head. It's not a humble posture, it's an upward posture. <coughs> These people are not wanting to be seen. They're putting their head down. They're not putting their he- hands up to be seen. They, they, if they've got their hands up, they must have their heads down. That's a different way to look at it, isn't it? They're not trying to have some Hollywood spotlight shine upon their life. Oh, no, they're not, they're not interested in that. They've humbled themselves. They know that God is looking upon them and God is seeing them. They're not trying to show off. Testimonies aren't to show off and singing is not to show off and preaching not to show off. It ought to be a humble exercise to worship God and just give him something that he enjoys and that blesses him. All the people answered, Amen, Amen. If the Amens ever leave here, mm, we're in trouble. Now, if the Amens leave because you don't agree with what's being preached, just come let me know. We'll, We'll talk about that. But if you agree with it, you heard some testimonies tonight you, you, you could have said amen to. God's been good. Amen. amen. All the people answered amen, amen, and were lifting up their hands and they bowed their heads. Watch it now. And worshiped the Lord. If we want revival, we've got to get back to worshiping the Lord. And I, I really believe probably we need to get into that a little bit more in detail. I'm not ready to do that tonight, but uh, I think most of us are clueless how to worship God. We think sitting in a pew is just worship because we call it a worship service. Worship is a matter of the heart. Worship is God getting some, something from you because in your heart He's worthy of it. 
God is worth something for you to deposit up in the glories, letting Him know how wonderful He is. And some people spend so many weeks and days and months that are saved, and they don't worship God. The Bible said they worship the Lord. How did they do it? Look at your verse. With their faces to the ground. So they go from their hands lifted and their heads bowed, and and now their faces are to the ground. It almost looks like they're on their face. I don't know if their face is on the ground, but their faces are to the ground. They've humbled themselves so much. You know what? Some people are so proud they can't even go to altar. Some people are so proud they can't even kneel. I told you about that evangelist that prodded me as a pastor. said, I noticed you, you, you couldn't get down on both knees tonight. You know, as a 20, I started pastoring what, when I was 23. It was several years after. I was probably about 27 maybe. I don't know how old I was, to be honest with you. I was in my 20s. And that advanced, we had revival, and the advanced came in. He said, he said, I noticed you only got done on one knee. You know, I thought, for just a moment, I thought, who are you? And I was on my knee. Well, you know, the second thing is, what's wrong with getting down on both knees? Now, he said that privately. He didn't say that publicly. He wasn't trying to harm me. He loved me. He was just talking about how people, it took them so long to get in the place of humility and worship and response to God. And guys, that's where we live. They worship the Lord with their faces to the ground. God's going to move in their midst. God's going to help them. God's going to bless them. God's going to bring joy in their life. Because they're humbling themselves before God. They don't care what their neighbor thinks. You know, that's the two dangerous things about an altar call. One is about what people think. And the second one is about what people think. In other words, I'm, I'm not going to go to the altar because what somebody might think bad about me. But other times people go to the altar because what somebody might think good about them. You know what we ought to do? We ought to throw all that out the door and just do what God wants us to do. If He wants you to... I have literally laid down under the pew after a message. On my face. Bawling my eyes out. I remember I was even at Pensacola Christian College. James Crumpton came to preach. Oh. That man got up and preached on Jesus for, I don't know if it was two hours. I don't know how long he preached on Jesus. When he got through preaching, I didn't care about an altar. I didn't care about people. I just, I just got out of my chair and I got on the floor. Because... I was face to face with Jesus in my heart. And Brother Earl preached that message on the penny. I, I crawled, I, literally, I'm the pastor of the church. 
I'm sitting on the right side of the blade of the church, and I crawled under the pew, just crying. Because God had just turned my heart inside out. I didn't care what somebody thought or what. I, I, that, was, that wasn't even in my mind. It was like nobody else was there but me and God. And by the way, that's when revival happens, when there ain't nobody else there but you and God. I think that's where these people are getting. They have, they're worshiping God and they've got their faces to the ground. In great humility. They praised Him. They worshiped Him. Now they're humbling themselves before Him. Essentials to revival. When they first hear, we've talked about how they read that Bible from morning until midday. When they first heard the Bible, here's their reaction. Look at verse number 9. And Nehemiah, which is the Tirshatha, and Ezra the priest, the scribe, and the Levites that taught the people said unto all the people, This day is holy unto the Lord your God. Mourn not nor weep. Watch it. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Can you imagine there's such a movement of God that for six hours they're reading the Bible and people are crying and weeping to the point that the, the, the church leadership has to say, Y'all got to quit crying. You talk about crying that much and that long, they're mourning to the point that it's too much. You know there's a place to weep and cry. There's a place to confess our sins and be so serious with God. As a matter of fact, in the very next chapter, the first three verses, we're going to see that that occurs again. But there's a great balance in the Christian life, and I don't think I've ever seen it any more clearer than in the eighth chapter of the book of Nehemiah. And that balance is a balance of weeping and a balance of joy. You see, the reason for that Bible is, yes, to bring contrition in the heart and to bring conviction in our lives and to bring weeping and sorrow over our sins and to get us serious with God. But that's not the end result. The end result is supposed to be joy and gladness and praise and fullness, you see. Can you imagine people being so overwhelmed with tears that the preacher said, that's enough. I can't even imagine that. I don't think people have even started to cry. Most people, even when they meet with God and they cry over their sins, it's not very long. Or it's like these people that get emotional and, the, and tears don't even come down. <laughs> no, these are real. They wept when they heard, when they heard the reading of the law. You know why? You know what was in that law? Hold your finger. Go to Deuteronomy. This is what they heard read. In the book of Deuteronomy, the Bible tells us in chapter 28. They're hearing all this read. They're hearing this read. And in verse number 1, they hear read... It came to pass, if thou shalt hearken diligently in the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe and to do all his commandments, which I command thee this day, 
that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all nations of the earth. They lost that little roosting place. You know why? They didn't do what he said. They didn't listen to him. They're hearing this read. Verse 2, And all these blessings shall come on thee and overtake thee, if thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God. Blessed shalt thou be in the city. Blessed shalt thou be in the field. It doesn't matter where you go. I'm going to bless you. You go in the city, I'll bless you in the city. You go out and live in the country, I'll go bless you out there. I'll just bless you everywhere you go. Verse 4, blessed shall be the fruit of thy body and the Bless your children. I'm going to bless your children. And the fruit of thy ground, I'm going to bless your crops. The fruit of thy cattle, I'll bless your business. The increase of thy kind, the flocks of thy sheep. Blessed shall be thy basket and thy store. Blessed shalt thou be when thou comest in, and blessed shalt thou be when thou goest out. He talks about how he's going to defeat their enemies for them. But then he starts talking about, if you don't listen to me, he says in verse 16, Cursed shalt thou be in the city, and cursed shalt thou be in the field. 17, Cursed shall be thy basket and thy store. Cursed shall be the fruit of thy body. Do you see what he's saying? And let me ask you a question. If you're sitting there hearing all that, and you hadn't been listening to God, what do you think is going to happen in your heart? You're going to be thinking, Man, I'm missing out on a blessing. And it says cursed. Did, did I read that right? Now, I'm not going to take all these things and make a New Testament application. But what I'm trying to tell you is that as they heard this law, it it grabbed their heart so much because they knew they were guilty. And by the way, they've still got a lot of guilt in Nehemiah chapter 8. Even though they're blessing God and even though they are worshiping God, there is plenty of junk in their lives. Just get to the end of the book and you'll find that out in Nehemiah. You know what I'm glad about God, though? He'll take your praise even if you're not all straightened out. I remember Brother Earl told me, he said, God will never scold you for praising Him. I never forgot that as long as I live. You know, he, I would think, as an independent Baptist, that God would have said, enter into His gates with repentance. That's not what he said. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving. Even the model prayer of Jesus does not start with forgive us our sins. It starts with hallowed be thy name. Why would almighty, holy, perfect God Receive the praises from a bunch of sinners who hadn't even got their sins taken care of yet. Because you know the truth, after your sins get taken care of, you're going to have another list here pretty soon. But the focus is not supposed to be on your sins. It's supposed to be on the God that doesn't have any sins. 
you need to get to your sins. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that God is such a naive God that He's going to receive the heart, love, and praise of someone that has no regard or no even interest in being clean. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is you don't even have to, you don't even have to take care of all that before you offer a praise. And the example is Nehemiah 8. Their families are a mess. But they're blessing God and worshiping God. But this is what's happened. As they hear the Bible, they know they're not right. And they're crying. And they're weeping. And if I'd been Nehemiah and Ezra right there, I'd have gone and put my arm around brother. And I said, all right, brother, this is what you need to do. You need to get rid of that stuff in your home that God told you not to do. But that doesn't happen until later chapters. And they don't even tell them that. I think it's appropriate. It's, it's good that they're crying. Chapter 9, they're going to continue to make confession. This is not a surface thing that we're talking about. But you know what he has to come tell them? All right, you've cried enough. No more crying. Yeah, but we don't measure up. Yeah, but we've heard the law. And and that's what the law does. The law shows us how guilty we are. And the law shows us how we don't measure up. And he comes to him and says, This day is holy unto the Lord your God. Mourn not nor weep. This day... This day we're going to give to God. This day is going to be about God. It's not even going to be about us. This day is holy unto the Lord... Your God, mourn not, nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. You see how this worshiping and praising and blessing is balanced with this weeping and crying. It's just... Essentials to revival. Praise. Worship, weeping, conviction, confession, yeah. But when we meet next, we're going to get into a few more things that essentials to revival bring in our life. And one of the great ways that we know that we don't have revival, people. Look at verse 10, and I'll just give the highlight. Then he said unto them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions of them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto our Lord. Neither be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites stilled all the people, saying, Hold your peace. Could you get this congregation? Hold your peace, for the day is holy. Neither be ye grieved. Quit grieving. Quit mourning. Why? We're going to give God a day. We have enough troubled days. Why don't we give God a day? What do we do in this giving God the day? Verse 12, all the people went their way to eat and to drink and to send portions and to make great mirth. How do you go from weeping and crying and bowing your eyes out to just having just the best time of your life? 
Only God can do that in your heart. Only God can turn weeping to gladness. Only God can take sorrow and put it into shouting. But He can do it. The priest says, stop that. You've been at the altar long enough. Now stop that. Now go out there and shout and praise the Lord and smile and rejoice a while. And that's an order. Isn't it terrible when God has to command us to praise Him and to thank Him and to rejoice? Have joy. I tell you, the reason we know it's, it's a good essential to revival, that lack of joy. And when people don't have the joy... That then the shout of the king's not among them and the Lord's presence is not among them. Because when his presence is there, yes, there'll be that conviction, but it doesn't end there and ultimately it goes to the place of mirth. It goes to the place of joy and gladness.